From lunch through to tea, this is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. on three o'clock here on Afternoons with Steffi on SCNZ. Uh, still got Jimmy Smith to come and back in the day. But right now we're going uh, Super Rugby. Uh, the Chiefs, they had a big win in the weekend. Uh, we're going into the Think Tank or part of the Think Tank, which is the coaching setup of the Chiefs. And the bloke that looks after the forwards and a number of other things, maybe the catering as well. I'm not sure. We'll check with him. Ross Filippo joins us. Ross, welcome in. <laughs> Good morning, Steph. How are you? Good, mate. How's the catering post-match? Do you, do you have a say? I, I am quality control. I'm not going to lie. There's myself and Nick White who make sure that everything's on point in, in that in that area. Uh, things seem to be tracking in a good direction, to be fair. Good celebrations after the other night because the whole of New Zealand, and I'd imagine you, there was this massive collision course between you two teams and it all came to fruition packed crowd, good performance, both sides. What a game of footy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was a huge game. It was probably more reminiscent of looking closer towards like a test match kind of um, style game. Um, it was very small margins. Um, there was a couple of controversial calls both ways. Um, you know, there was just obviously two teams going at it for the full 80 and and it was a, an extremely physical encounter for both teams. So, um, you know, I thought I thought it was a real kind of step up and level of, of footy, and, and it wasn't always pretty. But um, I guess you get that when you get the, the what it perceives to be the two best teams in the comps going at it. I know how much preparation goes on for coaches building up to games. How hard is it to try and break down weakness areas? in the good teams, like the Crusaders. Like, for me, just as a casual fan, you can see areas of obvious attack for a lesser team, but when you've got the Crusaders, who are a pretty complete unit, how hard is it to formulate game plans against the top team? Yeah, I, I think, um, it, yeah, again, you, you're always looking for chinks in their armour. Um, you spend a lot of time watching a hell of a lot of footage and, and looking for little little subtleties or nuances that, you know, might jump out at you and go, right, there's, there's an opportunity where we can create a, a small win there. Um, and then once once you see that it's a trend in, in, in their game, uh, then you kind of set about trying to put something together to then deliver it to the players and then for them to be able to execute it on the field. It doesn't always come off. Um, and, and sometimes you, you teams make adjustments from week to week and we, we think there's going to be an opportunity They've, they've been spending that week correcting something, you know, in, in that space. And then you turn up on Saturday and you're like, oh, it's been a week working on that. <laughs> and, and they've made an adjustment. So, uh, it, you know, it's a bit of, it's a, it's a game of chess and you're hoping that you, you pick up on something that they may have just kind of let fall by the wayside and haven't really kind of, hasn't been brought to light in their, in their camp. And then oh, I'd imagine they'd be trying to do the same, you know, trying to find little, little ins, um, just so that they can create, you know, wrestle kind of some kind of advantage or momentum from the game. 
Do you have, I've often wondered this, like you spend a lot of time, we'll, we'll use last week as an example, it doesn't matter what the team is, but let's just use last week the Crusaders and you're scouting them, finding for soft points or uh, areas you can penetrate, that sort of thing. Do you have someone within your camp who puts on an opposition camp and scouts your team and says, I think they'll see this in our team, so we need to address that? We quite often as coaches will sit there and read team ourselves and and we'll we'll sit there and we'll dissect our trainings and then we will kind of ask the question around where, where do we think that we are, uh, you know, um, going to be potentially vulnerable and, and quite often that, those questions are thrown across from different portfolios. So, say for instance, Roger might be saying, oh, I've seen this trend in our defence to David Hill and um, David's like, okay, cool. Um, do you think it's a, 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 you know, we'll just have a conversation around whether it's a, a, an immediate need to kind of work on or whether it's something that's um, it's a one-off or, or, you know, it's only happened a couple of times. So we quite often, we're very, very, um, I guess, meticulous around making sure that our, our, our areas of ownership are, are constantly critiqued by the other coaches. So I guess that's the best way for us to get to gain a perspective of, you know, sometimes you're in your own area and you're, you're kind of elbows deep in the weed, so to speak, and you can't really see any potential blind spots. And so, but usually the other assistant coaches can. And so it's making sure that we're kind of, we know that anytime we're getting critiqued around our areas, it's not, it's not a personal attack of any way, shape, or form. It's just, it's just that we're, we're, we're trying to kind of keep ourselves, you know, really relatively observant and aware and, and kind of ahead of the curve. I was thinking about, like, you had 15 years plus as a, as a player and um, how it's very different time-wise, time-consuming-wise from a player to a coach because a player, you know, they play on Saturday night. I'd imagine they get a recovery day, a day off Sunday. Are you parked in front of a laptop? Is this is this bordering on a seven-day job, 24-7 almost? Because you've got all the analysis, and then you go to all the trainings that the players are at, and then they have rest and recovery. Is rest and recovery for them analysis and meetings for you? Uh, yep. So, like, you know, day off scheduled in the, um, in, in the program, but that's the player's day off. Um, I... Usually in campaign, I don't have a day off until the competition finishes. Mm. It's tough, man. So, it's tough on, on on a person, and that's all you coaches. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people were able to kind of find find room to to kind of give themselves a bit of a breather. And where you can, you try and get an afternoon here or there, or you try and get um, you know an evening out with the family and go out for dinner, or just kind of reconnect and, and kind of put tools down, but more often than not, there is at least a number of hours each day that you actually have to put towards it. And so, you know, I, I probably get a little bit obsessive in that area as well, um, purely for the fact that I want the players to have a great experience and, and you know, I want to provide them with a good service. Tell me about like, coaching in New Zealand at the moment. Now, you led the Waikato NPC to a title, which was brilliant during COVID, the most testing time for, well, for all of New Zealand. Um, one day we won't talk about COVID anymore; it'll be so far back in the history. And now, and now you're um, an assistant coach with the Chiefs who haven't lost a game. 
what draw, what what were your drivers as a head coach as opposed to an assistant coach? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I guess my main drivers as a head coach were to be able to set up an environment that there's enough space for, for, for the players to step into and then have the confidence to grab the reins and actually drive things themselves where it's a it's a, a self-feeding, self-serving kind of environment um, and it's and it's become interdependent, and there's no there's no reliance on someone to just one person to spoon feed or to carry the motivation of the group. It's kind of generated from within. Um, that was a big driver for me. It was also important that I set up an environment that um, that you know that the players, for better or you know, I guess, can walk through the door feeling confident in their ability as opposed to walking through the door and walking on each shoulders worrying about mistakes that they've made. So, you know, I don't, I don't want them to come through the door and be cocky, but I want them to be confident within themselves so that they they, they kind of have, feel like they have the freedom to be able to express themselves once they get on the pitch. Um, but also they're, they're, they're honest in their approach and, and, and I'm honest with them and, and try and offer them full transparency around that honesty. So making sure that if we need to have a... a, a a difficult conversation that we have it and it's done respectfully and it's done with the best intentions. Um, those those are probably three or, three or four of the biggest drivers that I kind of tried to put into my coaching. And then obviously you put all the other the other stuff around it, the you know, the, the, the game plan, the the um, I guess the S and C side of things, the nutrition and, and, and then also the holistic support. But I, I think first and foremost it was making sure that there was the environment was right, and the care for people um, was was front and centre, so that they could see it and feel it, and they know that they they belonged once they came in the room. Um, and then from there, try and set them up so that they're they, they're connected to each other, and and then they can succeed. And I guess that the the difference of that as a head coach going across to now being a super coach is making sure that I'm I bought into what Clayton's vision is. And um, and understand his big drivers, and then and then support him wholeheartedly through that through that process. So I, I guess the the one thing that I uh, um, feel like I'm, you know, I, I think I'm doing okay, and is is recognising some of his big markers, and then you know I can anticipate some of his moves, and so uh, it's very easy. To, to jump on jump on his walker and support him and, and then kind of keep pushing messages that are consistent with what he wants pushed. So it's, it's um, I'm enjoying working under Clayton. He's, he's doing a really, really good job. The benefit of having a long and successful playing career, um, you've played in New Zealand and France, um, the UK, you've had, you've had a stint over in Japan, um, and then you return. If I asked you to name all the coaches you've had in your career, we'd be, be here till four o'clock, so I won't do that. But, <laughs> but, but you've been exposed to a wide variety of coaches, a wide variety of styles, um, and I know talking to you towards the end of your playing career, you, you were consciously, you were actively picking bits out of coaches that resonated with you and resonated with the team. Can you tell me about some of the valuable coaches and valuable lessons off those coaches you've received in your career? Yeah, I guess uh, a big one for me, who, who, who I you know hold in a high regard, was I, I really enjoyed 
playing under Robbie, um, Robbie Deans. Um, I was fortunate enough to play under Wayne Smith, Dave Rennie, Graham Henry, Steve Hanson, Jamie Joseph, um, Joe Schmidt even. Um, so I've, I've been able to kind of, you know, I've been, you know, I've been very, very fortunate in terms of the, the calibre of coaches that um, invested in me over the course of my whole career. Um, the one thing that I, I, you know, there's different things that I've taken from each person, but I guess the one thing I took from rugby was, was I guess, his level of care. Mm-hmm. And, and and I knew that, um, and, and maybe I, you know, I hit Robbie at a sweet spot where he'd evolved to a certain point in his coaching. I know that we all, we all make mistakes going, you know, early doors and, and your kind of coaching is an ever evolving thing like teaching. Um, but I always found with Robbie, you know, it was everything he said he did, he followed through with. So I never had a carrot dangled or, um, you know, it was always very honest and upfront, but always, you know, he approached those difficult conversations with, with a level of respect um, to make sure that, and then he helped me understand his reasoning by why certain, you know, behind certain things. So I always got given the why. Um, if he said something and then I went away and worked on something and then followed through with what he'd asked me to do, he would always then uh, follow through on his end of it. So I, I guess that, that consistency and that, that the, the personal relationship around, um, you know, respect and honesty really, really stood out to me. It was like, you know, it's, it's nothing worse than, than not, not um, you know, being in a team and, and not sure, you know, not being sure within yourself of where you stand mm. and, and and not being able to approach your coach around um, what, why I can't, um, why I wasn't playing or what did I do that got, you know, caused me to get dropped from the 23 or I haven't been in the 23 for a number of weeks, what do I need to do? And then, you know, and then not being sure how to then um, construct those questions to ask your coach because you the fear of kind of pissing them off, you know. <laughs> mm. And so, um, you know, I spent a lot of time, and, and Robbie did a did a great job of helping me understand that rugby is actually quite a simple game. And then there's a lot of parallels from rugby that you can draw across the life, and you know, you as a person is is usually a great reflection of how you'll be as a rugby player in an environment. And so, those were those were big lessons for me, and I probably didn't um, receive them at the time. But over time, you know, obviously they sunk in, and then you get you get time to to reflect and look back on on things you did well and things you didn't do so well, and then you you start to see the lessons that were actually being taught. And so it was, a, you know, I guess the best way that, that I could the best analogy I could use was that, that you know. He put cheese on the pizza, and then I got chucked in the oven, and it, it took time for the cheese to melt. <laughs> what an analogy! It's you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, I do. And so that, and and it, it wasn't till later in my career, after I was, you know, out of the Crusaders, um, had had a, an array of other coaches that that I started to become self-aware around a lot of the the lessons that were actually being delivered to me, you know, subconsciously, mm. and. And and so, and then it, it just kind of created more of awareness and then I was able to kind of reflect over all the other coaches that I had and, and all the, the, the awesome things that, that they were actually teaching me that I wasn't really kind of receptive to at the time, but I'd somehow retained them. 
Um, and and I think, you know, for me, I was, I've just sat there and tried to go, right, well, this is me as a person. Who, who am I? Okay, that doesn't fit with me because I'm not that way, but that does and that does and that does. And I, you know, and so I've tried to marry a lot of the, the, um, the great experience and, and lessons that I had with myself and then some of the other ones that, that didn't quite fit. Um, I've just let them go because I know that I won't be able to genuinely deliver them, you know? Mm. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I've put myself. And then spending time as an RDO and learning the art of coaching is um, was A, a bit humbling going back to the beginning and, and going out and delivering to, to community coaches but B it, it gave me a really really solid foundation so I, I have a lot of um, confidence around standing in front of professional players now because I've put time into uh, my foundation as a coach and so I'm not having to stand in front of them and say you know when I did this and when I did that and drawing off past experience it's not about what I've done like my career's long gone at their time so I'm there for them and it's about what they're doing and about how they can improve it's just been a, a bit of a shift, but it took a couple of years to kind of go from player mindset to coach mindset. Mm-hmm. There's a um, opportunity, what well, sort of happened, a sea change in coaching in New Zealand at the moment. Um, of course, Rosa Robertson's got the All Black coaching job, and I, there's a real dichotomy here, Ross, in that um, we're always, and I'm talking about New Zealand rugby public, we're bemoaning the IP that goes offshore um, with coaches and there's no pathways for coaches, etc. There's an opportunity here. Three head coaching roles are going to be available next year with Razor at the Crusaders, Jason Holland at the Hurricanes, Lee McDonald at the Blues. And everyone's going, oh my God, how are they going to fill this? And they're talking about... Um, you know, it's some of the names that are thrown up on in the conversation, um, like like Joe Smith, like John Plumtree, like Vern Cotter, like John Gibbs, all of these names. Is this an opportunity for New Zealand rugby, who have traditionally been quite conservative in appointments? They were forced out of their conservatism by appointing Scott Robertson. Is this yep. an opportunity to give some of our born and bred, up and coming? younger coaches and say you know what you take the reins at the Blues you take the reins at the Crusaders is, is this you know, people are complaining now we don't have the stock we have got the stock and now yep. we've got the opportunity yeah I, I mean I mean it's definitely an opportunity to go right let's, let's see if we can um, bring in some fresh blood um, I, guess, I guess the only concern that I would have was would be a um you know, it's more than just delivering the rugby um, from a head coaching position at a Super Rugby team. Um, there's definitely a lot of commercial engagements, um, interactions with the board. Um, well, there's you know sponsorship. There's, there's a whole um, myriad of, of of stuff sitting in behind. You know, like a business, you're almost like a business manager, um, and so it's it's more. Understanding is there, is there someone who's a, a do we start having a setup where I guess like it's the Chiefs and a lot of places have started doing where there's a, a high performance manager and they kind of handle all the back end and and, and all that stuff and, and manage all that stuff and the head coach he just he focuses on the team yeah. and and you kind of split it that way and then those two work together to make sure that the whole the whole thing is delivered. I think I've always thought it's 
as, as the game's grown, it's become too much for one person to kind of um, run themselves and, and, and potentially a, a team of high-performance manager and a, and a head coach. Um, and they work along, you know, side by side and, and kind of get things done that way. But, I mean, yeah, there's, there's an opportunity for them to, to go, yep, let's inject some, some, some new blood um, and, and let's see what happens. And then just let's make sure that we uh, work with the franchises to make you know to ensure that there's the appropriate support around those coaches that are going to be given the opportunity. Mm. Absolutely. One last um, one last question before yeah. I go because we're just about out of time, Roscoe. Um, I'm just going to chuck one player at you, right? And I know coaches don't like to single out players, but I'm going to force you to Brody Retallick. <laughs> Brody Retallick. Yeah. Um, on the Richter scale, he's he's a 10.0 earthquake and he's been around for a long time. You're working closely with him now in the forwards at the Chiefs. Where does he sit with you on, on the pantheon of rugby players and where does he get this continuous drive? So right now, Brody Retallick right now, I reckon he's a cut above the rest mm. in terms of what he can do on a rugby field. Um, compared to all the other locks in New Zealand. I mean, obviously, Scott Barrett is an incre- incredibly exciting, good player. Sam Whitelock, you know, is, is world-class and been doing it for a long time. But the way that Brody's come back from Japan, um, you know, had a, was the first six months back, we were a bit quiet, and he kind of just found his feet to get back into New Zealand rugby again. And now I reckon he's playing like Guzzler of 2013. Yeah. He is on, like, he is incredible. His, his, his back-to-back efforts, um, the fact that he just never stops, and then his actions have high influence on the outcomes of games. And so it's not like he's there's lots of little actions that are kind of just contributing. His, his actions have a big impact on the outcome of passages of play. It's, he, he's incredible, mate. Like, like, I, he's, he's obviously doing what he's going to be doing for his family, and and um, and and moving on, but I mean, I heard the conversation that Razor was talking about in the borders. We we one dude I get the checkbook out for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. Hey Ross, uh, thanks heaps for your time today. Really do appreciate. It. Massive congratulations to the whole Chiefs organisation. What a season you're putting together, awesome. and uh, great to chat to you today. Hey, thanks, Steph. Appreciate your time, mate.